morning by reading Psalms chapter 98. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. And uh, we don't have a lyre and a horn and a trumpet this morning, but we got a guitar and a bass and a keyboard, and I think y'all can do the shouting part, so we should yeah. be all set, right? <laughs> all right, well, welcome, uh, and let's stand up for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, thank you once again for your loving kindness, Lord, and your mighty arm that has gained the victory for you, Lord. Um, thank you, Father, for each one here this morning, and Lord, as we're gathered together, God, I pray that you would just pour your spirit out in our midst, Lord, and that we would see your glory and see Jesus high and lifted up, Lord. God, thank you that you are our living hope, and Lord, that we're here uh, to worship you, to fellowship with each other. Thank you, God, for the gift of life, Lord, the gift of friends and family, fellowship, and, and God, we're just here to praise you for all your wonderful deeds that you've done. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's remain standing, those who are able, and we'll sing uh, Living Hope.
Lord, that your light shines through. Your light shines brighter than anything else, Lord. And God, we look to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Nothing 
or something the Lord's been doing in your life, feel free.
doctors who don't bring help. And so we thank you for them. But oh Lord Jesus, we come to you first. Because you are the great physician. You're the only one who holds, has the power to heal and to make whole. And we lift up Ron before you and pray that you would guide the doctor's hands. That you, Lord Jesus, would watch over him and you would bring healing and grace to him. And oh Lord, I pray for Linda as she watches her husband Lord go through this surgery. That you would give her peace and grace. And that you would be her strength. Strengthen their faith. To trust in you with all their heart. Dear Lord Jesus, as they walk through this
saved us, who has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath, has, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. Going into verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Is that true in our own hearts? I know God tested me in that this week. We had a lot of conflicting schedules and plans this week. And I... I lost faith. I'll just say that straight up. I just really lost faith that God was in control. And I was trying to do it on my own strength. I was trying to figure out how to control it all, to make it all work. And in my own heart and in my own mind, there was no way to it. I was either going to make somebody mad, somebody disappointed, or somebody else disappointed, or somebody else mad. And I just saw no way through it. And I was just sitting there, and in my mind, I was questioning, going, okay, God, who is the most important person to me that I shouldn't make mad, that I shouldn't disappoint? Who, is, who, who out of these people is the most one that you have called me to be the best to? And instead of looking to God and saying, God, you'll work it out, I understand you. I know the pineapple story is getting overrated in this church right now, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, my wife always told me I needed to listen to this. And the more somebody tells me I need to do something, the more I think, yeah, I don't want to do it. And I finally got around to it uh, a couple weeks ago. I started listening to it. And, I mean, it has been such a blessing. I actually ordered the whole series for my family to start going through because I thought it was so good. And I love humor. And I relate a lot through humor. So that is, like, the perfect way to catch me is through a little bit of humor and he's got a lot more than a little um, but he gave his garden to God and I just woke up I mean all these messages that uh, Otto has been preaching and all that I woke up Friday morning and I was just I was just praying and I don't normally wake up praying at 3 o'clock in the morning I usually wake up moaning about having to get out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and I just woke up with that prayer in my heart, and I was just laying there waiting for the next snooze to go off again. And I was just laying there, and in my heart, my, my heart was just crying out to God. And I just remembered saying, God, I give it to you. I just give it to you. I can't do this. I cannot make everybody happy. But I give it to you. And oh, the blessing of what God can do in that. And how God showed himself so faithful, not knowing what God was doing in other people's hearts, um, and not knowing that God had something to show all of us, but he definitely had to show me. And within six hours, I was rejoicing and talking to my wife on the phone saying, it's all going to work out. And what a blessing God is when we just give it to him. He wants to show himself in control. He wants to show us how much he loves us. He wants to show us that he is there for us. But so many times I take things into my own hands. I take things into my own life and say, no, I want to control it. God, I have this. When all I need to do is just give it to him and he'll take the best control of it.
Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? It is. is a new creation coming? It is. is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. is it good that we remind ourselves of this? the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with
let's all stand for our last song. Resurrection and can death.
thank you, Father, this morning that your love is that great. Lord, as a one hymn says, Lord, if could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies a parchment made, we still could not write about your love. And Lord, I thank you for that this morning. And Lord, I just pray that as you fill us to overflowing with that love, with that, with that life within us, the joy, the peace, the the grace that we have because of you in our lives, I pray, Lord, that we would overflow that to others, to this community, to youth this coming week, to all those that need, Lord, that are seeking. Lord, I pray that that would be what would come forth. The love of Christ would shine forth, not because we are worthy, because we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, because we are covered because of you, Lord. Not because of ourselves, but because of you. It's your love. Let us shine that forth to this world, that they may too partake of what you have given us. Because it is not your will that even one should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can be seated, and I'll turn the time over.
care about Canada. country called Russia. Yeah, that little country. I know, it's a big country actually. I think it's the largest country in the world. Yep, it's even bigger than us. Way over here. And it's definitely bigger in Canada. Um, okay, so where we're actually going to be studying is Brother Andrew is going to be down here. He was smuggling Bibles. So they weren't allowed to have Bibles in Russia, okay? So he was smuggling Bibles into Russia, and he was coming across Europe, and he had a car, okay? But here is, see this little pink one here? And that little purple one, and that little green one, and that little orange one. They used to all be one country called Yugoslavia. It's not a country anymore. Now it's Serbia and Croatia, and I'm not sure what the other one is in there. But there was a couple different ones that they split off now. But back in the day, it was called Yugoslavia. Okay? So I'm going to set this back so it's not a distraction. Nope, don't follow it. All right. Brother Andrew. Andrew crept along in the dark side of the hedge, stopping only long enough to look behind him into the night to listen for any sounds that would warn him that he was being followed. All he heard was the hooting of an owl in the wood near the village. He crept on. A shaft of light fell across the footpath from where there was a break in the hedge. The boy edged towards the gap, pulling his balaclava down over his face so that anyone looking out the window couldn't see him. Slowly, so slowly, Andrew leant forward, glanced at the window, and sighed with relief. Although the light was on, there didn't seem to be anyone in the room, at least not at the window end. He darted around the hedge and out of the shaft of light. Only a few more steps and he'd know if it was there. As he hedged his way around the side of the house, Andrew kept his ears open for any sound from inside and his hands out in front of him to feel for it. Suddenly, it was there. First one hand, then another came in touch with the cold metal of a bicycle handlebar. The boy knelt down, every bit of him as tense as a cat about to spring, and felt over the bike. Was it tied to a drain pipe? Was there a chain that would stop it moving? There didn't seem to be. Taking a long piece of string from his pocket, it had been put there specially for this purpose, Andrew passed it from side to side along the back of the bike until he was absolutely sure that it was not attached to anything. Then he sat down and leant against the wall. He knew what he had to do, but he was scared. Scared half out of his mind. Anger suddenly filled every part of him, and the anger of a 12-year-old can be terrifically powerful. What right has he to work for the Germans, he demanded of himself. How can a Dutchman work for the enemy? He's a traitor. All of his family are traitors. Well, he'll find it harder to do his dirty work without his bike. Stuffing his hanky into the bell so that it would be absolutely silent and taking off the chain to prevent it clicking as it moved, Andrew retraced his steps, this time with the bike beside him. Through the shaft of light he went knowing that if he was caught, he might not see his family again. Round the hedge into the blissful darkness, then down the road to safety. Only when he was in the wood again did Andrew replace the chain, taking the hanky from the bell to wipe the sweat from his face and mount the bicycle. There was not a sweeter moment in his life till then. 
when he braked at the school, ringing the bell for all he was worth, a member of the Dutch resistance opened the door to see what the noise was. Well done, the man said, slapping the boy on the back. You're doing a man's job, Andrew. The war will be won with by the likes of you. And that's what Andrew was in the middle of, a war, the Second World War. Suddenly, Andrew was surrounded by men, and they were all talking. That traitor will be useless without his bike, one said. And we can put it to good use for the cause, added another. But it was that, but it was what the third man said that thrilled the boy. You're a natural for the underground, son, a natural. The kind of cleverness that Andrew used for the resistance, he also used to get out of attending church. Because his father was deaf, the family sat in the short front seat. Sunday by Sunday, he would lag behind so that he was the one Sunday by Sunday, he would lag behind so that he was the one for whom there was no room. I'll have to sit in the back again. He'd moan, moving quickly to the rear of the church before anyone offered to swap with him. During the first hymn, he was off, coming back only when he knew the service was about to end. It probably didn't come as a surprise to anyone when Andrew decided to be a soldier. Although it made his mother very sad, the Second World War was by then over. And he was posted not to the German border, but to Indonesia. As a, boy, as a boy, he had been really scared when he was working for the resistance. But as a soldier, he thought he was invincible. He came to believe that whoever was hit by a bullet, is certainly it wouldn't be him. But Andrew was wrong. The bullet that went right through his ankle left him crippled. He was just 21 years old. Do, do you want this, the nurse said in the army hospital when he had begun to recover from surgery? She had a Bible in her hand. It was in your kit. Andrew looked at the Bible his mother had given him when he joined the army. He hadn't opened it once, and he didn't want to look at it now. He was angry with God, if there was a God. But hospitals can be boring places, and eventually he was bored into reading his mother's Bible. I think you should sleep for a while, a young doctor said, finding his patient still reading hours later. I'm not tired, Andrew replied. I have, have you ever read this, he asked. I've, I had no idea it was interesting. It's like an adventure. I suppose it depends which bit you read, suggested the doctor. Andrew looked puzzled. I started at the beginning. That's where books usually start. <laughs> Between reading his Bible and writing to his 72 Dutch pen pals, Andrew's time in hospital passed quite quickly. One of his pen pals, a Christian girl called Thyle, answered as best she could all his questions about the Bible. In November 1949, Andrew left the army and was sent home. With part of his pay, he bought a bicycle. I'd better buy one than steal one, he thought, remembering back to his childhood. Is he all right, his father asked over and over again after he turned home. He's either stuck in the Bible or cycling off to church services all over the place. Andrew's sister shook her head. I'm worried about him too. It's just not natural. Maybe the war has bent his mind. I don't know about that, father said. I think it's his way of coping with being crippled. But I hope he grows out of it. Nobody likes people who are too religious. Andrew didn't grow out of it. Not very long after coming back home from Indonesia, he discovered for himself that the Bible was true. The former underground boy and soldier found new life in Jesus as he wondered about his future. Andrew pray Andrew's prayer was, Lord, show me what you want me to do with my life. I forgot how long these stories are. Oh, we got five minutes. I'll read fast. You all listening? Okay. God did not show Andrew what he wanted him to do. God did show Andrew what he wanted him to do, and he also showed him that his childhood experience of the Dutch resistance during wartime was good training for the Christian service. 
Brother Andrew, that's what he became known as, found himself working as a smuggler for God. Do you know what a smuggler is? Okay. It's somebody that takes illegal stuff and puts it somewhere or takes it somewhere that it's not supposed to go. Okay. So in other words, let me see. Well, Bibles weren't legal in Russia. Right here, okay? So smuggling is to take something in that's not supposed to go there. So like, okay, so you're not supposed to have cookies in your bedroom. No, it's probably a good thing. But if you get a cookie and you take one and you smuggle one in so that Sherry has one too, that's called smuggling. But just do it for the Lord, okay? Give half the cookie to him. All right. After the Second World War, many communist countries banned the Bible. It was as though a line, it was known as the Iron Curtain, was drawn across Europe. On the western side, people were free to come and go, to be Christians or Muslims or nothing at all. On the eastern side, behind the Iron Curtain, men and women were not free to travel, not free to have Bibles, not even free to teach their own children about the Lord. It was for these people that Brother Andrew became a smuggler, taking Bibles and other Christian books and tracts to people who could be put in prison if they were found in possession of them. I can hardly take it all that the Lord has done in ten years since I became a Christian, Brother Andrew said to his companion. Take this car, for example. Do you know, do you want to know how I got it? His friend nodded and then listened to the story. A couple I knew heard about the work I was doing smuggling Bibles and tracks behind the Iron Curtain. They realized that I could take much larger quantities if I had a car. And they know I don't walk well, and though I may have and thought it would make my job a whole lot easier. I was in West Berlin when I phoned to tell them my plans. You'd better come right back here for the keys, my old friend told me. What keys, I asked. I remember him chuckling at the end of the phone. We got you a car, my friend said. If you come... For the keys, you can drive it all the way to Moscow if you dare. I went right back, collected the car, and tucked as many boxes of Bibles in it as I could. Hmm. Huh? No. Big Bibles. As many a boxes of Bibles. Boxes full of Bibles. He put them in all over in his car. Filled it up. Is that why you call it a miracle car, the young man asked? This globe. Oh. Brother Andrew laughed. That's one reason. Another is, is that, another is that it keeps on going. It was that same car that Brother Andrew was driving when he reached the Yugoslavian border. Remember, we showed you where Yugoslavia was, right? That was Yugoslavia. It was the same car that Brother Andrew was driving when he reached the Yugoslavian border one day. Drawing up at the checkpoint, he prayed, Lord, I have Bibles in the car. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Please make seeing eyes blind now so that guards don't see the Bibles. Anything to declare, the guard asked. My watch, money, camera, and only small things. He was telling the truth because the Bibles were small. We don't need to bother about them, the guard said, handing Brother Andrew's passport back. Thank you for making them blind to the boxes, he prayed as he drove into Yugoslavia with his precious load. For the next several weeks, seven weeks, he was there and he held 80 meetings. And gave out hundreds of Bibles and tracts. Marta, a young Christian girl, was delighted to have a Bible of her own. Tell me about yourself, Brother Andrew invited. I was brought up in a Christian home, she said. I became a Christian myself at school. I always said grace before my lunch. Because of that, I was expelled from school by the communists. I was told I couldn't go back because I was filled with other pupils' heads with nonsense. 
But I'm a Christian and I can't pretend I'm not. That would be denying Christ. Brother Andrew prayed with Marta, asking God to give her strength and courage for the future. The road was dusty as he left the martyr's town. It's amazing this car doesn't seize up, Brother Andrew said to Nikola, a Yugoslavian believer. As the dust blew all around, you'd think the dust would get into the engine. I'm sure God stops that happening because we pray about it each morning. Nicola smiled. I've never heard of anyone praying over a car before I met you. As they drove along, a small lorry approached them from the opposite direction. It had a foreign number of plates. When the drivers, when the drivers saw each other, they stopped to discuss the state of the road. Your brother Andrew, the other driver said, and this is the miracle car. Nicola grinned. All the Christians know him, he thought. It's amazing the communists haven't found out about him. May I have a look at your car, the lorry driver said. I'm a mechanic, and it wouldn't do any harm to give it a going over. You do so many miles. Having spent some time under the, under the hood, the lorry driver scratched his head and looked puzzled. Is there anything wrong, Brother Andrew No, the man answered. The car's going well, but I can't work how it's going at all. The carburetor is clogged, so are the spark plugs. The air filter is totally clogged up. This car should be ground to a this car should have ground to a standstill thousands of miles ago. Setting to the ma- mechanic unclogged the carburetor and the spark plugs and did what he could about the air filter. Then he turned the engine and changed the oil. Look after it, he told the two men. It's a miracle. It's a miracle car, so don't abuse it. And it was just as big a miracle meeting a Christian mechanic on a lonely road in Yugoslavia as one who knew Brother Andrew. God provided a mechanic for the car. He provided the car for Brother Andrew. And through the Dutch Christians, the Lord provided Bibles and tracts to many thousands of people who would otherwise not have been able to read God's word for themselves. See, God still does miracles today. Do you think miracles are just in the Bible? Yeah, and God did a miracle on him, didn't he? Yep. God still does miracles today. We just have to look for them. And know that God still does that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now when you look at the globe and you see this little pink dot there, you know that's where Brother Andrew had a miracle car driving. That's pretty cool, ain't it? Can't see? Brother Andrew took a miracle car right across there. Because it kept running when it shouldn't have ran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have a miracle car. It shouldn't have ran, and it didn't. The engine blew up. They don't like running without oil. Okay, you guys can go back. Good morning.
my wife and I are going to be serving dinner here, so please come and uh, take part in that. Meet the youth that will be here, and uh, there may be some activities or just a time of fellowship. It can be anything formal, but everybody is welcome to that, along with the youth, and they will be provided at about 6.30. And then we will we'll be having uh, sessions and activities for the youth for the uh, Thursday through Saturday. Saturday evening will be a uh, Saturday evening we will have a church service here with Brother uh, oh, I think you put that one wrong on here, Dave. You have Keith Daniels on here. <laughs> Keith Daniels' son, boy, uh, from South Africa will be here sharing the word. He'll be sharing with the young people during the week. And there'll be a service open to the public both Saturday evening and we'll be speaking here at our Sunday morning church as well next Sunday. So Saturday evening, um, yeah, that's a 6.32, I've got time on there, so everybody's welcome. Feel free to spread the word about that. Um, if you want to help out during this time, if you have anything to volunteer, uh, there's uh, some information on that on your uh, sheet here. If you want to contribute to helping with youth activities, contact Carrie. If you want to help with uh, dinner Wednesday evening, contact my wife. For any of the other meals, contact Katie. And as always, there'll be plenty of cleanup and things to do around the facilities here. John and Sarah are in charge of that, and I'm sure they would appreciate any help that they could get with that uh, throughout the, the weekend, next weekend, or from Wednesday on. So be in prayer for for that for that time. There's going to be right around 30 young people I think here, and uh, I believe it's going to be a time of blessing and a time of uh, inspiration for them and for us. Pray that God would prepare each heart and prepare us to be able to minister, but also to receive word and instruction ourselves as well. I think that's pretty much it for the announcements. As usual, after our service, we have a meal here, so please stay and enjoy that time of fellowship with us. And I mentioned a little bit about this last Sunday. For the past several days, we've had something a little bit different going on here with our uh, tech team and our worship team. We've had some intensive training and practice and times of inspiration going on here the last few days. We have two uh, young men, I guess I can call you young, right, Eugene, uh, from North Carolina here, and uh, Eugene Miller has, has been here before with his family, Dave Miller family, that has uh, some here, and uh, they were the country uh, ministering God's word and song, among many other things that they do, and uh, Eugene, along with Nelson, are uh, very uh, experienced, uh, I don't know if you have titles or not, but they are very much uh, tech professionals and worship leaders and that kind of thing. And we've had them in for a time of training and it's really been inspiring and stretching for us over the last couple of days. So hopefully you're hearing an improvement and uh, 
hopefully it's, it's uh, our, our goal is for our, our worship time to not be a distraction by doing things poorly. We don't want to draw our attention to ourselves by putting on a show, but we don't want to do things poorly to take away from what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And, and also for those of you online, hopefully our uh, stream has uh, improved dramatically. That's part of our training as well. So and these things will uh, be things we continue to work on. So that's what's been happening here the last several days. And Eugene and Nelson will be sharing with us here this morning on the topic of, of worship. I think most of Nelson's going to be sharing. Eugene will a little bit to start. So uh, I'm going to turn the time over to them. Eugene will come up here and speak for a little bit. They will introduce Nelson. And uh, I'll let them share what God has laid on their hearts. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Anthony. Good morning. Thank you for that response. I appreciate it. So I'm Eugene Miller. I'm 25 years old. And as Anthony shared, uh, I travel with my family about six months out of the year under the umbrella of Gospel Express. And we've been here before as a family and really enjoyed getting to know your congregation um, very much so. So, uh, yeah, Anthony talked a little bit about the weekend and what we've been doing uh, here. And we are just privileged to be here. Nelson and I are. And um, first of all, I want to thank Phil and Katie for their hospitality, um, staying over here at the house. It's been really, really nice. Uh, we've always had food and a bed and uh, everything like that. It's been good getting to know uh, Lukey and Michael as well. They're a lot of fun, and uh, they know more about more things than I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and so that's been, I've, I've learned a lot from them this week. But um, so just a little overview of the weekend of kind of what we covered. Um, we started on Friday night with a meet and greet and got to know each other a little bit. But with some scheduling conflicts, uh, with Brandon being an absolute baller uh, on his baseball team, they had uh, two All-Star games yesterday that he needed to be at, and so uh, Carrie and Soretta had to be there with him. So we rearranged our schedule a little bit, dove in a little quicker than we were going to, had a pretty intense session on Friday night, came back Saturday morning, had a session two, took a break in the afternoon while they were at the ball games, then came back yesterday evening and uh, kind of finished up. So this morning, Nelson and I are just here to kind of observe um, and then also have a little bit of a wrap-up meeting after lunch, and then we'll be flying home uh, this afternoon. So a little bit of my background in music. I've uh, been doing music for about 10 years, personally, 10, 15 years, uh, playing instruments and singing with my family. And then that translated into my local church, where Nelson and I both attend and are involved uh, pretty heavily, uh, where I'm the primary worship leader there. And so I have experience in worship uh, on that side of things, and then I've been doing sound since I was about 10, um, just on the road with different teams that we've toured with. So that's kind of my background in uh, what we do, but ultimately coming back to what Anthony shared, um, our heart as we come here is not to promote our agenda or what our church does or what my family does. It's to help you do what you do better. Um, and not better from a performance standpoint, but better from an excellence standpoint of we are serving the King of Kings and we need to give him our best in worship and in song and in praise. Whatever that looks like, why do we have church be second best or second rate. And if we were in a, a band touring, we would expect excellence because otherwise no one would come to hear us, right? So in church, often we take a pass and we say, oh, they're making a joyful noise to the Lord. Uh, joyful is a relative term depending on who you are and what that means. So our goal is to promote excellence, not perfection, and that there can be a worship experience that is edifying to the body and does not pull us out of relationship uh, with Christ. So we do things well enough that we're not distracting, but not so well that we're pulling you out of worship by 
showmanship or overplaying or whatever that means. So that's our heart as we come here, that we are giving your team and your pastoral team, tech team and worship team tools to move from here and build off of that. So you may not see the end result this morning. You may see a progression that starts with hopefully what we've equipped your team with to work from there and make their own improvements. And it can happen without us being here. So that's kind of our heart. I'll invite uh, Nelson up. Uh, Nelson and I have been friends for a long time. We went to the same church for many years. And uh, he was actually my youth pastor for a few years. Um, but we were almost in the youth group at the same time as well. So. We're not real far apart in age, but he has had influence at a very young age, um, personally in his own life, um, going from a youth in our church, starting a youth conference there, and then turning into a youth sponsor a couple years after leaving the youth group. And uh, so we got to serve together like that, um, and then we were on the youth committee together, and now we do worship together. Um, we are starting to be on the same leadership team there at church as well. Um, and then we also serve on a team called Revivalist Ministries that he founded um, with another couple and a few other individuals that we run youth conferences and um, put out videos every Monday uh, with empowerment, just short little videos for encouragement um, to people. So that's kind of our connection, and um, his name is Nelson Painter, and I think I'll let him introduce um, the rest of his family and everything like that. Thank you, guys. Excellent. Well, thank you, Eugene. I, I appreciate it, and, uh, man, that's... Uh... That's my, that's my brother there, uh, brother from another mother, for sure. Uh, excuse me while I, I'm going to adjust this. I am not that tall, not that tall. No, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a real honor. It's been a real honor to serve with Eugene um, over the years. Just, yeah, like he said, we, uh, we've almost kind of grown up together. I'm just a little bit older. I'm, I'm 29 and he's 25, so we've got about four years between us, but um, just in growing up together and being able to serve together has been has been a real honor and it's a real privilege to to do life and, and do ministry with him and want to say thank you to you guys as well. I mean it's just it's been awesome to be here this weekend. I mean from me and Pastor Phil were talking about it. We got in the truck and it was just it's this immediate connection, you know, uh, with Christ living in him and Christ living in us. It's just. It's the connection that, hey, across the United States, I got brothers and sisters that, you know, are, are, are doing life and are reaching their community, and it's just really, really encouraging, and your tech team and your worship team and everybody that's involved here is just, it's been an amazing, amazing weekend to, to serve with you guys, and, and just, yeah, hold your hands up and say, yeah, you can do it. It's just, it has been, been really, really sweet. Um, little background on me. I, I, I am married. I've uh, been married for seven years. We have one son. He's uh, about 19 months old, and he is our greatest joy. Uh, he is so much fun, and we have just loved being parents, and, and it's been a really great stage. He's he is bald as can be, uh, doesn't have any hair, which we're, we're believing for hair soon. Um, <laughs> we thought maybe, hey, it'll show up in a year. Nope, not yet. Uh, so we're, we're still believing for that. But uh, other than that, he's a lot of fun, and we really, we really are having a good time. So they're back home uh, this weekend, and uh, mom and baby. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get home. <laughs> I'm ready to go see them. So, uh, but but uh, just want to bless them and, and thank them for just letting me have the opportunity to come out here and do this and do what we love. Um, 
Yeah, like Eugene said, I'm a part of a, a ministry there that I, I'm kind of the, the founder of and director of. It's Revivalist Ministries, and we really focus on um, doing leadership development, biblical leadership development with youth and young adults. And we do that mostly on the East Coast. We have two major conferences that we do a year. Uh, it's a conference that we do in the fall um, for youth and, and young adults both. And then in the, in the spring or late winter, we do a conference that's just for like 18 and older and just kind of dig in a little bit deeper and kind of give them some tools and, and things that they can take back to their community and help make a difference. And one of the things that we're getting ready to start too is we're getting ready to start a, uh, we're getting ready to start life groups in multiple places across the United States that we're doing, we're doing training with some of these young adults and kind of giving them some tools and tips that they need to start a little small group in their community and just start meeting every week. And we're writing a Bible study plan for them and we're sending it to them uh, just so that they can reach their community where they're at. Uh, our, our goal is to empower people. Um, you know, God in the kingdom wants to use everybody. There's no qualification besides being a son and being a daughter. And, uh, and so that's really, really cool, and, and we love that. We love to empower them to make a difference, and we want to give them the tools uh, to, to do that as well. Um, so, yeah, today I, I have the opportunity to share with you a little bit, kind of tailoring off of what we did this weekend. It's a lot of worship and uh, a lot of training in, in that aspect. But I think maybe uh, we think about worship. When we think about worship, we think about something that happens on a stage once a week and that there are people that are talented musicians or talented vocalists that, that come up and participate in something like that. And, and that 45 or 30 minute slot every Sunday is what worship is. And uh, I, I want to talk a little bit today about how worship is much, much more than that. And that it's, uh, that it's a lifestyle and that it's something that, that happens in each individual's life and it happens every day and should happen every day. And, uh, Kyle, you you really shocked me today, man. I, I did not know if I was going to see you here or not. When I was on the plane flying over here, actually, I thought about it. And I was like, man, I know Kyle's like north of Denver somewhere. I wonder if this is this is where he's at. I almost came up and hugged you in the middle of service just when I saw you. That, that was really good to see you. Um, so, Kyle, you've probably heard some of this before, but uh, it'll be a good refresher then. So, but uh, I, if, I will encourage you, if you do have your Bible, to turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, we'll just read from the word there. First Samuel chapter 16. <clears throat> I'll be honest with you. I've, I have had the opportunity to speak in, in several churches and at conferences and things like that before. I have never been to a church uh, or spoken at a conference where the kitchen is so close to the sanctuary and where the door is open to the kitchen. So the smell this morning is just, if, if more than anything, we're going to get through this quickly because it smells a little too good. I'm ready for lunch. <laughs> It, uh, it smells really, really good, and uh, so we will, uh, we, we will do this and, and allow God to move and have his time, and then we're going to fellowship, and it's going to be great. Um, so 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verses 14 through 23. 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23. This is what it says. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command his servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well 
and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Let your son David, who is with the sheep, come to me. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And this is it. I want you to hear this verse right here. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took up the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Let's just pray really quick. Father, I pray in these next few moments, Father, that you would give us entrance into men and women's hearts here. And Father, that you would do a work and that you would use me as a conduit, that, that I would be the end of the rain gutter. And Father, that you would just use me uh, as a tool to express your word and your agenda and that your word would go forth and that it would change hearts and lives today, that we would understand why it is that we were created, what we've been created to do. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Very good. Well, I want to ask you a question today, just for starters, about what is culture? And when we talk about worship, we want to make worship more than just that 45-minute experience, but we want to make worship a lifestyle. We want it to be something that we do in and out every day, that we live in an environment and in a culture of worship. But it's really hard to do that unless you can know what culture is and you create it. But culture sets the stage for everything. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, but you may have great vision or you may have great plans, but if the culture is not conducive to your plans, culture will chew up your plans and spit it out. Culture shapes everything. Everybody's home has a different culture. My house at the painter house is different than what the culture is at your home. It's very different. And I can remember when, when I started dating my wife, I went up to Indiana. She, she was living in Indiana. And I went up to Indiana, spent the weekend with her family. And it was over Thanksgiving. It was like the big holiday. All the family gets together. You have to understand, I, I come from a, a home where I have one brother. Mom and dad, one brother, that's it. My, my dad has one sibling, and they have one child. My mom has one sibling, they have one child. I have two cousins, that's it, very, very small. And then I talk to Eugene, and Eugene's like, I don't know how many cousins I have. And I think, that's crazy, you know? It's just very, very different. And so when I went up to, to spend Thanksgiving with, with my wife's family, I can remember sitting down for the Thanksgiving meal, and it's like, okay, I'm hungry. They're like, we're ready. We're going to sit that, that. That's the other thing you have to learn about me. I'm hungry. I'm just always hungry. Me and Lori, we got, we got along really, really well this weekend. Me and pregnant women, we get it. Okay? We're like on the same, we're like on the same eating schedule all the time. You know? Our feet hurt. We want to sit down. It's like we're on the same page. We do really well. Um, but, uh, but we sat down. We sat down to this Thanksgiving meal. We sat down and there's all this food on the table and and we sit down and we have, we have prayer and we, and we get ready to eat. And, and like, I grab some turkey and mashed potatoes and, and I start eating. Well, I'm not, I, I haven't gotten one bite down before my wife is elbowing me and she's handing me something. 
And I'm like, okay, so I, I like take a little bit of that and then, oh, I got to pass it. Okay, well, okay, now I'm ready to eat. I go to take a bite. Oh, no, here she's, here she's nudging me again. There's more food. And then, and then it's just, it, it took 20 minutes for me to actually be able to eat my meal because of how much stuff I had to pass. And most of it, I didn't want. So it was just like ushering food from one end to the other. And, and it was so different. I was so irritated at that meal. Like we, I was, I, oh, I was, it just spent me because... In my home, our culture is very different. I have one brother. There's only four of us. And we would sit down to the table, and it did not matter how much food or where it was at. You could reach all of it. It was like, I didn't have to ask anybody to pass me anything. There's only four of us. It's all right here. You know, but when there was 15 people at the table, it was a lot bigger. You know, and it all, oh, it got under my skin fast. But it's because we, we, we grew up in a different culture. It was different. It's something different about about my house than what happens in in your house. <clears throat> and culture is built through habit. And it's something, that's why it's so difficult to change is that culture is created by building habits and by doing something habitually that it becomes second nature. Culture is doing something without thinking about it. You just do it. It's just a part of your life. Today, <clears throat> doesn't matter what time you leave. It doesn't matter how long you stay to eat. It doesn't matter what time it is. You're going to leave today and you're going to pull out here at the end of the parking lot, and you're going to pull into the road, and you're not going to have to sit and think, which side of the road do I drive on? Is it the right or is it the left? You don't have to think about it. It doesn't matter if you turn left or turn right, you're going to drive on the right side of the road. Why? Because it's our culture. You do it without thinking about it. Now, if you go, to, if you go over to London, England, and you rent a car, and you get out on the road, you're going to have an accident most likely because they drive on the left side of the road. And it's different because their culture is different than our culture. Culture is something that you do without thinking about it. Now, I'll get real transparent here. Another example on culture. It's been a couple of years ago that my family, we decided we were, it was mom and dad wanted to go on vacation. And even though my brother and I are now married and we have our own families, they still want a vacation together. And so uh, we went. We, we went down to Mexico, went down to Cancun, Mexico, and went to this, this place. And we, I mean, we were just, we were astounded. I would never really done anything like that. It was, it was awesome. We loved it. We had a great time. And while we were there, there was this lady. She was like a, I don't know, she was like our concierge, as you would say it. I don't know. She just, like, if you wanted to book something, like a, a excursion or you wanted to go do something, you talked to her. She helped you. She, she lined it up. She made sure that you had everything you need. And so when we got to the resort, we, we met this lady. Her name, her name was Melania. And she came right up to us and she did, she did one of these, one of these. And, and it was like, she did it to my dad. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> and she did it to my mom and she did it to my wife and she did she did it to my brother and his wife, and she gave it to me, and she did it to me, and it was just like, he just kind of stood there, and it was like, what is going on? Like, it was so uncomfortable, but for her, it was her culture. It was like, it was nothing, you know? And, and my wife kind of nudged me, like, quit acting like an idiot, you know? It's like, <laughs> just don't, don't, don't act like you, you know, it's just you're so uncultured. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just really uncomfortable. And so... We get back to our room and, it's, and, it's, and we get settled in for our first night. It's like, okay, I know, I know tomorrow morning, I know tomorrow morning we're going to go up there and eat breakfast. And Melania's going to be there. And she's, she's going to greet everybody the same way that she greeted all of us when we first met her. And I was like, this is not going to be awkward for me the second time. 
And so, like, we're, we're getting ready for bed and everything, and I've showered and everything. I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm standing in front of the mirror, and I'm, like, I'm like practicing, you know. And, I, and I'm like, I'm like, I was like, no, 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 it's too loud. That's not believable. It's too loud. No, I, I can't do it that way. So, so, like, I'm practicing in front of the mirror, and it's like, okay, all right, I think I, think I got it down. I'm, I'm going to go to bed early and get a good night's rest. I got a big day tomorrow. I just, this is on my mind, and I'm going to get a good night's rest. And so... I go to bed that night, and we get up. We're going to go eat breakfast. <clears throat> and sure enough, Melania's out there. As soon as we walk in the door, she's there. And she comes up, and she greets my dad and my mom and my brother and sister, or, or sister-in-law, and then, and then my wife. And then, and then she, she turns to me, and she, she's ready to do it. And I'm like, okay, here we go. It's like, this is going to be right. This is not going to be awkward. And, and I think what happened is I, I just got a little eager. And... Um, I, I got the first one, like the, that was okay. But like, I got too eager to get to the other side. And like, when we passed, like we brushed noses. And like, it was, oh, it was so awkward. It was like, it was like the worst thing ever. It's like, not only do I have to, this woman, but we just rubbed noses in the middle of it. It was just, oh, it was awful. It just, nothing like I planned. It did not go anything like I planned it to go. It was horrible. And, it's, and what made it even worse is after I'm done, I, after I'm done doing that, I thought, oh, man, that was bad. I turn and look at my wife, and my wife is standing there like this. <laughs> like, what is your problem? Like, are you kidding me? Like, just, just so, but it's not my culture. It's not my culture. For her, it was her culture. She just did it without thinking about it. It was nothing. For us, it wasn't our culture. It was very uncomfortable. Well, can I tell you today that there is a culture of heaven. And there's a culture of heaven that God wants to be a part of our life. And sometimes that culture of heaven feels like Eskimo kissing Melania. (laughs) Sometimes it's not comfortable because it's not my culture. It's not what I'm used to. But there's a culture of heaven that God wants to be a part of our life and be a part of the earth. It's exactly what he says when when he says pray this prayer. And he says on earth as it is in heaven. May heavens... May heaven's realities become earth's realities through us. He lives inside of us. And, and that, that's, that's part of what culture is, that we can create uh, a, a, a culture of, of worship in our life and in the world around us that will help us to influence people and that they would see Christ and that they would see the culture of heaven. That things that just don't make sense to the natural eye, they would look and think, what is with that? Well, it's the culture of heaven. It's not what you're used to. And quite honestly, it's not what I was used to. But I've, I've allowed that to become a part of my life. It's become the culture of, of what I do, and it's become the culture of how I operate. So the culture of heaven has a, a major foundation in worship, and we see that in the book of Revelations when it says that, that the, the cherubim and the seraphim and all of, these, all of these angels and all of these things stand before the Lord and they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They bring attention and worth. They ascribe worth to him. When he says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, there is a consistency of worship in heaven. All the time there's worship going up in heaven. And it's what God, it's the atmosphere that he resides in. It's the culture that he lives in. And so what we have to understand is when we are able to worship and we're able to bring a culture of worship into our life, His presence inhabits that. His presence comes into that moment and into that environment. It's it's, it's just this incredible thing of of carrying culture. And we see this in in Samuel. When when, when Saul is tormented, he's tormented. And in fact, he's he's mad. 
He's dark. He's dank. He's throwing things at people. He's so frustrated. He's so unpredictable. And he's hurting people so much that they've said, we, we have to do something. We have to find. It, it's become unbearable for the people that even work for him. They've, they've asked for them to bring somebody. But David shows up. And he brings a culture of worship into the palace that wasn't there before. And something incredible happens in that when you carry a culture of worship, the presence of God comes. And when the presence of God comes, the enemy dissipates. It breaks chains. It opens doors. It shuts shuts the mouths of demons. It, it, It causes the spirit that torments Saul to have to leave. There's no room for him when the presence shows up. And David... David learned this culture of worship not on a whim, not by walking in and saying, okay, now that I've finally been called to a position of power, I'm going to show up at the palace and do this. No, he was playing a harp on the backside of the mountain watching sheep and standing in sheep dung for years and years. He developed this culture in the wilderness. In fact, this story, what we've just read right here about him coming to the palace is post-Goliath. He already went. He already slayed the giant and saved the entire nation. After he slays the entire nation, he goes right back to the field and takes care of sheep and continues to build that culture and build that culture. It's just this amazing thing that David never knew. He never knew that while he's playing on the backside of the mountain that the culture of worship would make room for him in a palace and that he would go from playing for sheep to playing for a king. And, it, and it's just an incredible picture of how that works because the culture of worship summons the presence of God. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And it breaks those bondages and it breaks those chains. And it's not something that has to just happen on Sunday morning, but it's something that we carry inside of us. The life of Christ that lives in us allows us to worship him at every moment. It's a lifestyle. It's not an ability to play an instrument. It's not an ability to sing. But it's a lifestyle that we get to live, and I want to show you that. You touched on it this morning when you, you opened the service, and you, you talked about how David played the lyre and played the harp. And it's, it, it's just so interesting to me that when I studied this, that Moses, Moses gave us all the ordinances of the temple. He gave us the table of shoe bread, and he gave us the altar of incense, and he gave us all these pieces that made the tabernacle what it was. But what David brought to church that Moses didn't was instruments. He brought music to the house of the Lord. And it says it in Psalms 150, where he talks about praise him with the lyre. Praise him with the cymbals. Praise him with all of these instruments. And he lists instrument after instrument after instrument of things that we should come and we should make a joyful noise to the Lord because he's worthy of it and encourages people to worship. That's David. David brings this in and he ushers this in. And so I, I love music and that's part of the reason why we're here this weekend is I, I, love, I love instruments and I love worship and I love to be a part of all that. And I know Eugene does as well. It's just something that, that is a huge part of our life. But as I study As I studied instruments, I I learned something very, very interesting. And that is when you play an instrument, when you play an instrument, you have to do one of two things to make an instrument work. You have to either touch it or you have to breathe through it. You have to either touch it or you have to breathe through it. Whether it's a trumpet 
you got to breathe through it. Or a trombone, or clarinet, or saxophone, you have to breathe through that instrument to make the horn blow. It's how it works. You have to breathe through it. If you're going to play a guitar, or a bass, or, or drums, or the keyboard, or the instruments that we have here today, you have to touch them for them to make sound. If you don't, they, they, they're not an instrument. They're not an instrument if it, does, if it doesn't work. You have to either touch or blow wind through them. And David created these instruments, and he brought all these instruments into the church. And, and David created these instruments by wind and by touch. But when God created instruments, he created me and you. When God created instruments, he created me and you. Because it says when he made Adam, he formed him, and then he breathed life into him. And it's the only difference between that and everything else in creation. Everything else in creation, God spoke to it, and it was. Adam is the only thing that he took time to touch it and to breathe life into it. And it, it echoes that you were created to be an instrument. And I was created to be an instrument in that, in that God created us to be a steward of his gift. And that when we allow the, the master craftsman who shaped each one of us to play us as an instrument, it, it creates this culture of worship, a lifestyle of worship, not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we have to just achieve or work towards, but it's simply the surrender of letting the master craftsman touch and blow wind through the instrument. Just an incredible, incredible picture of that. And that you were created to be a worshiper. We're created to bring at attribution and, and to create uh, a a awareness of who he is and what he does. And we were created to do that. And, and I can tell you this today. I, you know, I know that there are different stages of life that everybody's at and everybody faces different things and different challenges and circumstances in their walk and in what you're going through. But I can tell you without a, without a doubt, the reason, the reason that the devil hates you and the reason that he's after you and the reason that he's after your family, and the reason that he's after your church, and the reason he's after this community, and the reason he's after this world is for one reason. It's because in eternity past, he was the steward of worship. In fact, the Bible says that he had instruments within him, and that he was in charge of the worship in eternity past. But because of wickedness and deceit, God removed him from that position and cast him out of heaven. But he cast him out of heaven and then he decided to create you and I. And he formed us and he breathed life into us. So the reason that the devil hates you today and the reason he's after you and the reason he does not want you to have a culture of worship is because in eternity past, he was in charge of that. It was who he was. And God has taken that identity from him and he has given it to each one of us. We have been able to step into the place of creating a culture of worship so that people can see it in our life. They don't have to come to church on Sunday morning. They don't have to watch church online. <laughs> they can meet you at the grocery store at, what's your grocery store called? King Supers, that's right. Never heard of the King Supers in my life till I came out here. 
They can see you in King Supers and have a 10-second conversation with you. In fact, they don't even need that. They can see the way that you act and the way that you carry yourself and see that culture of worship. What's, 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 strumming, what's strumming your instrument? You're the instrument. When, when a tough situation comes your way, what sound do you create? Is it a sound of worship? God, thank you that this isn't worse. I give this to you. Carrie talked about it this morning, just a little bit. One of those situations that comes up, man, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't, I, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those opportunities where somebody's hitting, hitting your instruments. They're blowing on you. They're strumming your instrument. And they want to know, what's, what, sound, what sound's going to come out of that? What sound is going to come out of that? We were made to be instruments of Him. And so when we allow Him to have control over our life and we say, God, I want to, I want to have a culture of worship. Everywhere that I go, I want to carry your presence. So that when people see me and when I'm able to talk to people, there's, there's an authority and a boldness that I can walk in because of who you are in me. Not because of what I've done. I, we don't have time. But if I could tell you who I used to be, if I could tell you, if I could tell you about, if I could tell you about the generational bondage, things that I didn't even know about up until the last five years, things that were going on in my life that I could not make sense of and never made sense to me, but he's delivered me from it. You would understand why I'm so passionate about it. I mean, people... Some people look at me and some people look at us and some of the stuff that we do and they think, y'all are crazy. It's like, yeah, I am. Because if you knew what he's done, if you knew what he's delivered me from, you'd understand why I'm so passionate about it. I want to carry a culture of worship everywhere that I go, that his presence operates through me and lives through me, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And if he can do it for me, then he can do it for everybody else. And there are people in our communities and there are people that live around us that we see and we brush shoulders with every day that are dying and going to hell. And we have the opportunity to be the instrument to bring that culture of worship into that environment, just like David did with Saul. It's just people are looking for it, just like Saul is looking for it. I think, I think often we think that people in the world want to resist Christianity. And they're just like, whoa, I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that. But when they understand the freedom... They welcome it. And so I don't have to ram it down anybody's throat. I can just walk in a culture of worship. And when, when the culture of worship is there, the Spirit of the Lord is there. And when the Spirit of the Lord is there, there's freedom. There's liberty. And it changes people's hearts and lives. It changed mine. And I really believe that it's changed yours. And so today, I, I, I just want to, if we can, I just want to take a minute or two here just to give an opportunity um, to respond to this. I really do. I, 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 and maybe this is a little unconventional for what happens on, on a Sunday morning, but I just really believe that this is what, what God wants to do. You know, even in this weekend, and worship, worshiping with your team and everybody that's a part of this church and what's going on. I, I was, we were talking about it yesterday. I went for a long walk around a couple blocks here in the community, and I, and I really just believe that, that God has strategically strategically placed you here wasn't a mistake and I really believe that you know that it wasn't a mistake that you've been planted here but that there are people around us that need the kingdom 
And they need a culture of worship in their life. They need the presence of the Lord in their life. We have been given the opportunity to steward that gift and to bring that to the community around us. And so today, I just want to invite you. If this is something that you want to walk in, I just want to invite you to stand where you're at. If you want to come forward, you and pray, that's fine too. Eugene's going to sing a song. But, but I just want to invite that, give you that opportunity, that invitation. Not, and this is something that I have I struggled with for years. It's how to facilitate this moment right here. God, I don't know the words to say. I don't, I don't know the right words to pray for somebody. I don't know how to facilitate this time. And a lot of, a lot of years I would shy away from that, step away from this moment right here until, until he really revealed to me it's just like, just, just get out of my way. <laughs> just let me be who I am. And it's just, it's so true. He's, he's the God who makes the sun stand still. You know, he's the God who makes the waters part and stand on edge. And, and the God that, that brings dead people back to life. It's just, so in this moment, there's nothing that I can say that, that, that makes this, this real. But it's just, it's just a, a heart of worship that just says, God, this is yours. I want to be an instrument of your peace. I want to be an instrument of your faith. I want to be an instrument that's used by you to reach people around. So if it's that you, I, I just want to invite you to stand. We're just going to take a minute so Eugene sees a song. And I want to invite you to just pray where you're at. And then maybe I'll pray over us after, after that's over. But, but I just invite you, if, if that's you, to stand to your feet. And just ask the Lord, Father, I need your help. Father, I, I, I want this in my life. I want to be an instrument of your peace. And I want to have a culture of worship that I walk in. I know that there's a culture of heaven. And Father, I know that there's a culture that you want to be a part of my life. But Father, I just want to, I want that to be so effortless and I want it to become culture that it's something that I don't even have to think about but that I just walk in it and that I operate in it. I'm caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy
desire <laughs> we can show up and we can go through the motions and do everything right but without your spirit without your presence it's completely pointless there's no purpose to it there's no value in it so father today we just we recognize who you are that you're everything there's no place I would rather be than right here in your presence. And Father, I, I'm so grateful that like Pastor Phil shared this morning, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. I don't, I'm so glad that I don't have to travel to a certain place to be with you, that I don't, have to, I don't have to pick up my family and move somewhere to be in your presence. But Father, your presence is within me. And then I get to operate in it day in and day out, in every moment of every day that I can be directed by you, that I can be guided by you. And so, Father, today, in this house, in this church, in this community, Father, I pray that you would bring about a culture of worship. And, Father, that you would, you would bring a culture of worship and a boldness in people, just a boldness in people, to love people relentlessly, to grab people that... That no matter what's their situation, no matter what they're going through, no matter what they've done in their past, that you love them. And that you are the Redeemer. It's the name on the front of the sign of the church, but this is who you are. You're the God who makes the sun stand still, and you're the God who parts the waters. You're the God of miracles. And you're not the God of miracles in the past, but you do them daily. We hear testimony after testimony, and we are a living testimony of what you can do and what you've done. This is who you have always been, and we know that you will continue to be it. So, Father, we surrender. Not that we have to jump through a hoop or do anything or strive, but, Father, we just surrender to you, that you would use us as your instruments, that you would give us the words to say. That when we meet people in our community, when, when opportunities arise, that we wouldn't shy away from them, but we would boldly step through that door, not because we have the answers, but because you are the answer. 
and that we can confidently go before your throne as sons and daughters and that you make a way and that you break chains and you open doors. We're so grateful for that this morning, Father. And so I just pray that even in this next week, just in this next week, in the next five days, that you would give us an opportunity that we would be aware of a culture of worship, a lifestyle of worship, and that you would give us an opportunity to live that out in every action, in something that we say, in a simple thing like a handshake or a hug, but that people would see Jesus in us, in the redemption that's in store for them. We don't want anything else but you. There's no other thing that we could chase after that could fulfill like you do. There's no other accolade. There's no other degree. There's no greater thing than being a son and being a daughter of the King. And we thank you for it today. You're such a great God, and we honor you today in everything that you do. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, brothers. Eugene, Nelson. Thank you for being singing. I believe we had worship throughout our entire service here this morning and I know I was deeply challenged to live a life of worship completely. Thank you for sharing through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been a blessing. I don't think there's anything else I can add to that and just say let's let's take those things deeply into our hearts and allow the Lord to make that message a reality in our hearts. That'll conclude this portion of our service. So we'll close with a prayer and our meal will be ready shortly. Please stay and enjoy that time of fellowship and worship as well. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to come before you and to fall on our knees in worship. To humble our hearts and just see you and see that you desire not just a a heart of worship at times, but a complete life of worship and Father that's our desire that's the way we want to live in this next week and in the times ahead so I pray that you would lead us in that Father and I know that you will through the power of your Holy Spirit I thank you for each one here I pray that you would make this real and alive in each heart and life I pray that you would bless our time of fellowship now and the meal Father I pray that you would bless it and 
continue to guide us in your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.